great to be together. It's great to worship. It's great to share in the merits of what Jesus has done for us. And it's great to open the Bible. It is a privilege and we must never take it for granted. There are uh, brothers and sisters around the world today, friends, uh, more than perhaps we could imagine that don't have the privilege of being able to meet uh, in uh, safety and security to open the Bible. They've got to do it in secrecy and with some sense of danger. And we honour those people today in terms of their faith. The only problem with lights off is that um, the, 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 the print seems to be getting smaller and smaller week by week. But anyway, uh, we'll see if we can manage this. I'm going to ask you, if you've got a Bible this morning, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, very often when I minister, I'll probably just read a verse or two and then uh, build around it. But I do think it would be helpful this morning... Um, if we could read um, from verses 18 through to 31, I'll read it. I'm reading it from the New International Version. And if you have a Bible, then you might want to follow. If not, then just uh, listen to God's Word as well. So the, the, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, being saved, as I say, is a very interesting phrase. We're being saved But thank God we are being saved. It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were by human, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and He chose the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of him that we, that it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts or glory, glory in the Lord. We come to a, a season, friends, in the life of the church, which is a challenge not only for this church, but every church. We, we're in high summer, we're enjoying a, a glorious uh, spell of weather. Uh, the reason it's not raining at the moment is because of that roof at Wimbledon. Uh, it used to rain every year at this time, but they spent X amount of million pounds on the roof. And the last two years, there's not been a drop. So that's the reason that, um, that we're enjoying this fabulous weather and... Uh, and of course, we were perhaps hoping that uh, Andy Murray was going to do better than what he did, but uh, maybe another year, as Eric said to me earlier, maybe not. But that's a, a debate for another time. But the fact is that we face a challenge because, as Christian said, 
Uh, we've just moved to Sunday at 6 because we're conscious that we're coming to holiday season, high summer, people being away. And perhaps over the next six to eight weeks, uh, most people over the life of the church may be away for a week. They may be seeing friends. They may uh, have got a holiday book to somewhere else in the country or another country. And we understand all of that. The fact is, friends, that we want to keep church on track. And we want a thread that takes us through what God is saying over these weeks. And uh, the way that we've, uh, by God's grace and his wisdom, sort of set up the next number of weeks is that you may be away for a week or two, but you'll be able to come back into this and hopefully be inspired by the ministry on the weeks that you're here. A friend of mine some years ago, he was a bit of a maverick, led a, 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 a charismatic church of about 60 or 70 people in another city. I, I won't mention it, you won't know him. But he was, a, he was a guy that did things a bit different, let's put it that way. Uh, so different, in fact, that uh, when I went to preach at his church once, there was coffee brewing in the back and folks were getting up while I'm speaking. And somebody says, hey, two sugars or one in your latte. And, uh, yeah, you know, this was literally, while well, it was one of those type of churches. But he had a brainwave. He says, I'm going to shut the church down for six weeks in the summer. Nobody's coming. The weather's hot. Uh, people are sort of distracted, distracted Christian. So they're not going to listen to the word. And he closed it down. He said to me, he said, I couldn't believe when we got to September how hard it was to get the church going again. You see, he didn't understand momentum. And uh, the reality is, friends, that whilst we recognize that there are some distractions around us because of the season we're in, we're absolutely impassioned about maintaining momentum in the house. We're believing God's going to break in week by week. If you've not come to faith, we're believing at this time you're going to come to faith. If, uh, if you're in a dry place, we're believing that this time is going to be a place of oasis. If you're in a time where you just need a renewal of the Spirit, we believe this is going to be the time of being renewed in the Spirit. If you're looking to God to bring a healing, we're believing that this time is going to bring a healing. So we want to continually believe for what God has got for us. And of course, we need spiritually to be absolutely set up for all that God's got before us as we enter the autumn season. And so with that in mind, we, we, we bring an introduction this morning to our summer theme that will run through these next number of weeks, which is called Unsung Heroes. We're going to be looking at people, particularly people in the Bible. This little phrase has cropped up a number of times in the life of the church. It's something that Eric's quite fond of using on occasions, because what it often reflects, friends, is God taking a hold of somebody, as we'll see from our reading this morning, that other people would have thought, you've got to be joking. God's using that person. God's using her. And God loves to take hold of those sorts of people and use them in amazing ways. And so our focus will be on people to inspire us, to see that God's got something for every one of us here and now. The Bible says in Romans 15 and 4 that the things that were written in the past were written to teach us. So that through endurance of the scriptures, we might have hope. We're going to look at some people that are perhaps little known in the, in the Bible. And then others that you may have heard of, but will highlight a particular expression of their life. That God uses with consequences that are way beyond what they could have imagined. And the fact is, friends, that across the community of believers in Arena Church... God wants to do something incredible in all of our lives. There's been a tendency in church over the years to park the work of God with particular people. 
Some folks have sort of said, well, God couldn't do this and God couldn't do that through me. But God is stirring in these days for him to realize that he wants to work in you. A definition of a hero is one that does great deeds, but is also of of noble quality. And so the gift of God in us always must work with the character that God is building in us too. Someone says that charisma without character leads to calamity. Let me tell you, that is absolutely true. Gift and character must always work together. And we're forever looking for heroes. We honour heroes. We, we honour those in the military that have been heroic just in our own, on our own local news this week. There were some parents that uh, received honours for fallen Uh, soldiers that were members of their family, a very moving and poignant piece on the news. We look for heroes in the sporting world, and Christian mentioned in the nine o'clock, thanks everybody for coming last Sunday night and supporting Bishop Tony as he ministered. One, we'd lost. Two, it was absolutely baking in here. And yet we had a fantastic turnout, and, and, uh, and the bishop preached. When I say the bishop, I mean the bishop. And uh, we, we just had a great time. But sometimes we look for heroes. I won't even go there, but they didn't seem to have turned up over the last couple of weeks. And we all move on to another day. But the fact is, friends, that God wants to raise up people in these days that can be used in heroic ways. Nobody else may know about it. It may never get on the telecast or in the news. Uh, it may be, friends, that it never goes uh, beyond the, the town in which uh, we dwell and worship and live. But God wants to do it. I, I made reference to a, a meeting I was at a week last Saturday in Sheffield uh, where the speaker was Professor Wayne Grudem, just a great, uh, uh, wonderful man of God that has been particularly used to help people understand the Bible. And Wayne made this comment, which was an interesting comment in the light of the fact that we'd already established this was the way we were going for ministry starting this week little to do actually with what he said during the rest of the morning but he says it's this is the day for heroes to stand up and our encouragement over the next number of weeks friends would be that across the life of our church heroes would increasingly stand up and be used by the lord and you may say, well, I, I, I don't feel I'm up to that. I, I'm not good enough. I, I'm not strong enough. I'm not spiritual enough. And, you know, when you say all of those things, you become the likely cases for God to take hold of. And here in 1 Corinthians 1, which we've read, we see the apostle communicating to a church that he'd been Uh, influential in establishing and founding. He meets with Priscilla and Aquila. You can read about it in the Acts. Fellow tent makers, a great move of God. And then as this church begins to come to some sense of maturity, and boy, that was a journey for them. You've only got to read the letter to see it. God begins to speak through his servant to these people. That God would, that they would understand that God didn't want them to dwell in immaturity and carnality and failure. But he wanted them to come to a place where he could use them. And friends, that is exactly the same for us. As we've come to faith, which may have been recently, it may have been a long time ago. God doesn't want us to dwell in places past. He doesn't want us to be bedeviled by being immature or carnal. He doesn't want us to get to a place where we live with a worm mentality. God could never use me. God could never do this in me. He wants us to arise to see what we are in God. 
and for us to humbly and completely give ourselves to the Lord and then see what he would do. These verses that we read are a paradox. They're a contradiction. They, they sort of go on, on the head of what, uh, what is, is, if you like, conventional wisdom. And we'll see in a moment or two exactly why that is the case. And there is a sense in terms of the Christian faith, friends, where it is contradictory. Particularly in the world in which we live today, where there's so much worldly wisdom around. So many throwaway comments. You need to make a life for yourself. You need to do it your way. You need to forget about everybody else. You need to, 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 to uh, just take care of number one. All that sort of stuff spills out. None of it's the Bible. None of it's the Bible. So we need to be careful, friends, that all that stuff that seeks to wash over us doesn't take from us what God wants to do in our lives. We are called to live in a contradictory way to this world. We are called to live as Christians paradoxically. But if you'll grab it, you'll understand that this is the way that God has called us to live. And for a few moments, I want you to notice three main things from this passage. Number one, the contradiction of the message. The contradiction of the message, thank you. You see, Paul was a learned man. And he could have come to these people in his learning to seek to coax them into being followers of Jesus. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing amongst you except Jesus and him crucified. Now, did that mean that... uh, that Paul communicated in Janet and John language? Probably not, because he was, he was an eloquent, academic man. But the reality, friends, is that he didn't rely on his own abilities, his own self-efforts, his own academia to communicate to people the power of the cross. He simply pointed them to Jesus. Now, for the Jews, it caused them to stumble. Historically, they were used to miraculous signs and events, And this seemed a bit weak. To the Greeks, to the Gentiles, well, they were looking for somebody to tittle their minds. They were the intelligentsia of the day. And frankly, to them, the cross seemed ridiculous. And friends, to our human minds, that can still be the case. Eugene Peterson in the message says, the message that points to the cross seems sheer silliness for those hell-bent on destruction. Bishop J.C. Ryle says, as long as the world stands, the cross will seem foolishness to natural man. And so it is today. Because verse 23, friends, is the heartbeat of this church. It says, we preach Christ crucified. We do it through the foolishness of what was preached. One translation says, the foolishness of preaching. Well, there's been a lot of that around over the years. But it doesn't mean, friends, that communicating and preaching in itself is foolishness. But here's the preacher getting up this morning and talking about a cross of Jesus, the Son of God, 2,000 years ago. And saying that this, applied to our lives today in faith, can make all the difference. And in the natural, it seems folly. But to those that believe, it is the power of of God. And the Apostle Paul refused to buckle to the trends of the day, and so must we, 
And we must continually draw people to Jesus. Does it mean that we talk about the cross every time we get up and preach? No, it's not saying that. Does it mean that we talk about the cross in every conversation we have? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that our lives are rooted in the power of the cross. Human strength cannot compete with God's weakness. And you may have pals and mates and social contacts in your particular world And frankly, they react similarly to the Jews or the Gentiles of this day. For some of them, friends, it may be a stumbling block. For some of them, you may have to endure some ridicule. You what? You want me to believe that? But here's the paradox. Here's the contradiction. Because if we'll believe it, friends, it becomes the very life of God in us. Then what about the contradiction, not only of the message, but of the means? Because it says in verse 26, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. I think it's the Thompson Chain reference, one of the Thompson Chain reference editions, that next to this particular passage entitles it God's treasure chest. You see, what were you called? The Bible says that not many were wise, not many were influential, not many of noble birth. And here's the paradox. God's taken the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, the things that have been lowly and despised to nullify the things that are. Does that mean that God can't use aristocracy, royalty, people that have got an amazing influence in politics or high business? No, it doesn't mean that, but not many. Not many. See, Abraham Lincoln says God loves ordinary people. He made so many of them. And all over this community of believers, friends, are ordinary people in the hands of an extraordinary God. It may be that people have literally said, you're a fool. He's taken the fools to shame the wise. It may be that somebody says, you'll never amount to anything. You're so weak. He's taken the weak to shame the strong. It may be that people through words and attitudes have despised you. And God says that he takes the lowly and despised to nullify the things that are. The contradiction of the means, friends. There used to be an old song that says he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. And a a, a few months ago in in a Tuesday series... Eric ministered on angels, and we believe in them. But the reality is, friends, that God is determined that it's through the church, not through angelic powers, that the manifold wisdom of God will be declared to the principalities and powers, and this according to his eternal purpose. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. If you're praying for angels to come and do it, you are not praying according to the will of God. You need to pray that God will take you wherever you are on that list and use you to be a complete contradiction to those that say it could never happen. And friends, it's time for the heroes to stand up. And I minister this morning, friends, conscious that some of you carry some pain in that area. And some of you carry some hurts. And some of you carry some emotional wound because people can be incredibly cruel in terms of their attitudes. It may be that some of you now, in terms of your memory bank, drive right back to what was said over here at school. And you've wrestled with seeking to get beyond that. But somehow it still diminishes you. It still belittles you. 
it still takes away from you the dignity of God's calling in your life. And friends, it's time for, for us to let the Spirit of God minister to us and touch us. See, the reality is that even on the journey of faith, there's some knocks and bumps across the way. As I minister this morning, I, I can go to some times where you wouldn't even want to hear what people have said to me over my life. But I refuse to be diminished by those things. I refuse, friends, to, be, to, to, to allow those things to shape my future and destiny because God says something else. I've said over me before, I love these verses, friends, because our family's capital O, ordinary. You know, I'm from a council estate in Nottingham, you know, second eldest of seven kids. I mean, you know, we're just an ordinary family. You know, I don't come from noble birth. You know, I don't come from a place of influence. You just come from an ordinary family. You see, I'm just impassioned in these days for God to get hold of ordinary people and use them for his glory and praise. You see, from this place, from an ordinary group of believers, we can see communities changed and influence. We can see nations shaken. We can see the power of God, friends, reverberate around the globe because God is on a way of doing something that is way beyond what we could possibly imagine. And I'm just dwelling here for a moment because I'm just sensing, friends, that there are people here this morning and I just sense that God said to you, it really is time for you to move on. It's time for you to leave where you've parked your life. It's time to allow those things to be healed. It's time for you to push aside those things that have been spoken that God's never said over you. God's never said those things. And for you to rise up today and be an unsung hero. Because there's destiny in this room that at this moment is being thwarted and negated by the past. And God says you need to leave it and move into the amazing future that God has got over you. You see, God gets hold of people like a, 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 a guy in his late teens, early 20s, who was a Buddhist, dying of tuberculosis. And through the purposes of God, a little girl went to go and pray with him. He was miraculously healed. His name was David Yonggi Cho. He became the pastor of the largest church in the world, 750,000 people in one church. And friends, that is an amazing thing. When you compare South Korea to North Korea, you can only say that it's because of the Spirit of God. The difference is stark. God got hold of a farmer boy from North Carolina, from a little town. Nobody had ever heard of him. He became the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. His name, Dr. Billy Graham. You know, when we had the joy of being in Melbourne last year, I went to the Melbourne cricket ground. That was one of my things. I just cleared off for the day. I was in my element. The, the largest crowd in Melbourne cricket ground is fantastic, the way they honour it in the museum. It's not because of a cricket match. It's not because of an Aussie rules game. But 134,000 people attended a Billy Graham crusade when he ministered the gospel in the middle of Melbourne all those years ago. He's an unsung hero. A little farmer boy. Got got hold of a man called William Carey. From Northampton, you know that Northampton's famous for its shoe industry. He was literally a, literally a cobbler. Heard the call of God to go to India seven years without seeing a convert. Not one person responded to the cross. But he kept going. He kept going. He kept going. His motto was, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. He became the founder of the modern Baptist missionary movement. An unsung hero. And so we could go on, friends. And all across this room, there are people that God's beginning to 
speak to. It's, it's fantastic to look on and see how God's speaking to people's hearts. It's great to see people responding to the move of God, the Spirit of God. We're rejoicing all that God's done over people in the past, friends. But there is more for every one of us in these days. You see, the contradiction of the means. And God is at work in these days, friends, to do something absolutely amazing for his glory. And then I close with the contradiction of the mercy. Because we come to verse 20, 30, it says, it's because of him. It's because of him. Mercy is compassion for the guilty. It's because of him that we stand in righteousness, a right standing before the Lord. We stand in holiness, set apart for the Lord's service. We stand in redemption. It means that the price has been paid for us because somebody else has paid it. We've been set free. Therefore, as it's written, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. Why do we worship friends? Why do we sing songs? Why do we open our services with heartfelt thanks to God? It's because of him. It's because of him. It's not because of the Pope. It's not because of the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's not because of somebody in a glossy magazine. It's not because of any of those people. It's because of him. And he invaded this world as a little baby and lived for 30 odd years and died on a cross and he's risen, ascended and glorified so that in 2010 he could make a radical difference in this world. The treasure chest, friends. God's lifting the box. The demonic powers look on and say, Ha! Look who's in the chest. And they accuse, they come even against the Almighty. They even come against, but he's lifting the lid, friends. He's lifting the lid, he's lifting the lid, he's lifting the lid. He sees the need all across the world. He sees the need on our doorstep. He sees the things that stir people's hearts in terms of loving and serving their community. He sees people, friends, that are broken and wounded by homelessness and drugs and disaffection. He sees people that are marginalized. He sees nations that need to be touched. He sees apostolic blasts that need to impact and change and turn around situations. He sees all of that and he's lifting the lid of the box and says, I've got the treasure that's the answer. And amazingly, friends, it's you and me. It's you and me. You see, because the day of unsung heroes is not over. Over the next few weeks, we'll try and inspire you with a few people. And we'll take particular takes on those things. On the baptism, clearly Christian's going to bring something that will home in on that particular morning. But we're going to take some people, men and women, that have believed what God has said over their lives. Brothers and sisters, this is the day that God has called us to. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad. And I'm sorry to pretty your bubble, it's nothing to do with Sunday. It's the day of God where we rise up and see God do something amazing in our day and generation. The contradiction, friends, we will always live with because that is the divine paradox in the message where churches are pulled back and said, people don't want to hear about the cross anymore. Friends, we've no alternative but to continue to preach Christ and him crucified. And he's quite capable of taking care of the results. The contradiction of the means. It's you and I. And you, like me, might have a capital O ordinary over your life. But somehow, friends, God in his grace says, I can do it. And the contradiction of the mercy is because it's all because of him. This is the day for the heroes to stand up.
that hide in the cross, that give all glory to the Lord, that want to be used mightily for his name. Question, friends, who's ready? Amen.